Welcome to the Pathway to Digital Transformation in Government panel discussion sponsored by Juniper Networks. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion today. My guests are Pam Dyson, the Chief Information Officer of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Tim Benjen, the IT Development Director for the Navy Reserve Forces Command, and David Chive, the Chief Information Officer for the General Services Administration. Welcome to the panel today. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. Digital transformation is happening across government. Citizens are driving the rate of change through their expectations. And what we've seen over the past few years is the growth and the acceptance of things like cloud, mobility, APIs or application programming interfaces, and the ability to better understand user behavior like never before. This is data analytics, and, and this is what agencies are taking advantage of. The evolutions of these technologies, those who are doing the cloud, the mobility, they're having a better job. They're doing a better job of meeting their customers' needs. IDC Government Insights says agencies are embarking on this transformation journey, and it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. They absolutely need to understand the return on investment of moving off these legacy systems and modernizing their processes. This includes the long-term life cycle of the cost of new technology, but it also includes the potential savings or cost avoidance of moving away from the current infrastructure setup. The challenges are immense to, to move to this transformation. A recent survey finds workforce, including executives, need to be more tech savvy and have different skill sets. Agency IT infrastructures are more likely to be an obstacle than an enabler of digital transformation. But good news here, help is on the way. The survey says organizations are looking at, and in many cases using, emerging technologies such as software-defined networking or SDN, network function, functions virtualization, and they're doing a better job than ever of understanding and the increased value of, of data analytics. SDN, NFV, data analytics, mobile devices, these are all providing agencies a greater flexibility to address citizens' needs, whether they arise from commenting on a rule or, in Pam's case, looking for a 10K filing, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that and then move to the cloud there. In the end, we all realize these technologies really are just the enabler to improve citizen services and satisfaction in government. But without improving the underlying technologies and processes, the end results will be harder to achieve. So with that context in place, let me turn to our panel. Once again, my guest, Pam Dyson, the CIO of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Tim Benjen, the IT Development Director for the Navy Reserve Forces Command, and David Shive, the CIO of the General Services Administration. I'm going to start at that far end of the table with Pam and, and start with this idea of digital transformation. You, you guys have been on this path for quite a bit. Uh, we've talked about this several times. Talk a little bit about what your strategy looks like for digital transformation. So certainly the pace of technology has really picked up um, over the last couple of years. And, you know, our strategy is really to keep pace with um, the, the industry, uh, not just for our, for our internal customers and stakeholders at the SEC, but also for our investors and for the public as well. So we've done a lot in this space uh, to move us towards digital transformation. Um, some of the areas that we worked on, one is just automating our processes and our workflows, um, automating the way the data comes into the organization so that that uh, data is more accessible and usable by our stakeholders. Um, one of the other things that we've done is we've really advanced our data analytics program. Um, so being able to take in that raw data and run analytics on it, not just to inform our examiners and our investigators, but also for things like our IT systems. You know, the data that we, come, we use now, we're able to run analytics on, you know, how our systems are performing, uh, where we can increase performance and do various things as well. Um, we've been looking at mobile um, technologies for quite some time. Um, the American public, as well as our constituents at the SEC, want to be able to access our resources from, you know, various different devices, you know, at the touch of their finger. We want to give interfaces that are more corporate and look and feel um, and ease of use uh, to our, uh, our citizens. So we've been looking at mobile applications, doing more with mobile devices for quite some time. And then, of course, um, cybersecurity is always, you know, on the forefront. That's integrated in all of our decision making and our planning and processing um, to do more from a digital standpoint and to ensure that we can secure that data. So, so we have all of those streams working at the SEC, um, and we've seen a lot of efficiency in our IT program as a, as a result. You said the strategy in part is to keep pace with all the change. Yeah. Do you feel like what's driving you is the citizen expectation or is, is something else driving the SEC, meaning uh, the investors are going, 
well, I can't find what I need. This is not working for me. So, so it's both. Um, it's driving expectation, again, ease of use. Uh, the way you go to your local bank and do mobile banking and online banking is the expectation that the public has and as the interface with a lot of these systems. And also keeping pace with our register, the, the people that we regulate. Uh, the banks and the exchanges invest a lot of money in their IT programs and how they are presenting data to the public and how they're using data. So we're trying to keep pace with that. We're outgunned <laughs> um, in that department and the funding department, but there are things that we can do along the edges and the margins with our program. And a big start is to digitize a lot of the content and, and data that's coming into the agency. And again, automate those workflows. That gives us huge efic efficiency and productivity. Um, across our uh, divisional uh, areas at the SEC. And when we talk about driving change, we've got to turn to Tim, the Navy Reserves, obviously. You guys are trying to recruit people, keep them in, retain recruitment, all those things, and, and they have a different set of expectations as well. Tim, talk about your, your modernization, digital transformation. Yeah, so as you mentioned, our target audience is, is our reserve force, and so that's basically our, our citizen that we're targeting. We have several different strategies that, we, that we're moving out on, initiatives, that, if, if you will. Um, Mobile, we're, we're doing a lot of work in the mobile environment. We have a BYOD mobile app available right now. It's the, it's the first one in the DOD that uh, allows you to access sensitive information. And our reservists, you know, we only get them two days a month, um, two weeks a year, so we don't have a whole lot of hands-on time with our reservists, so our IT infrastructure is very lacking in, in that regard. So when they come in to reserve, to drill reserve on the weekend, they have to share one computer amongst usually 13 to about 13 people so they can't get a lot of work done so we need to provide them without giving them a government furnished equipment we have to provide them a means to get their work done whether it be at at their job site on the reserve weekend or on their own time at, at home so what we've done is we've leveraged their own devices the BYOD bring your own device and given them an application that they can get in, log in via via their uh, we have our authentication for our cat cards and um, they can log in and get all that work done, and that, that goes for travel, t uh, work, job assignments, things like that. We're also creating some non-sensitive um, websites that they can access on any mobile device, iPads, uh, Android tablets, iPhones, and even on their computer. We want to create uh, basically a one-stop shop for our reservists to go to and get all of their work done. Right now they have to go to a multitude of websites. I've heard it anywhere from 50 to 60 websites that they need to go to do pieces of their job. We want to combine that into one central location that they can access without having to have a, a special device to log into a website using their uh, identification card. And at least so they can get started. They can, they can know where they need to go, what they need to do. That's one of the biggest challenges for our, our force is just to know what to do because we only get them so minimal amount of time throughout the year. Um, those, those are our major initiatives. We're moving to the cloud as well. We have an Office 365 pilot that we call Reserve Cloud Connect. Um, it is powered by Office 365 environment. We're, we're piloting that for the big Navy. They're, they're coming on board here shortly. We're doing that in, 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 uh, in parallel with the Air Force. They're doing it as well. So that's going to be a big move for us as far as um, ease of use for our, for our force. They don't have to come in and use a computer to use office um, email, office, edit office documents. They can do it from anywhere, from any device, via the office online products. That's another major initiative of ours. So I want to dig into the BYOD for a second. How, what did you guys have to go through to move? Because when you talk about digital transformation, part of that is, okay, well, what can I do online? And, and, and what can I, you know, if I have to do everything in paper or if I have to use an old, you know, green screen system or wait in line to use it, getting that BYOD through, was that just a, a cost avoidance? We could either buy computers and they could sit here a lot, you know, or we could have one computer and have people wait in line, but if we, like, what was the, the decision there? The, the primary driver was cost avoidance. Um, we did see a little bit of a cost savings because we can have some of our users, especially in the leadership positions, they have government furnished equipment. We can start pulling that back now that they have this BYOD solution. So there was a little bit of a cost savings, primarily cost avoidance. It, uh, it, it avoided at least uh, a tenth of the cost uh, if we were to, or actually nine-tenths of the cost if we were to issue government furnished equipment to all of our sailors that needed to access our systems. To get around the security piece, you had mentioned cybersecurity, Pam. Um, we'll, we'll talk about, okay, about, we'll talk about that sure, later. Okay, so, a little bit of cyber. So, so j 
our, our, our basic policy is no data at rest on, on the personal devices. So we do everything via web transactions, via websites. We've cr we're creating all of our websites to be responsive so they look good. They, they're very user friendly on any device they're accessing it from. And all of the transactions happen on the back end on our side, whether they be in our legacy IT infrastructure or whether they be in the cloud where we're moving to now. Everything will be in that secure environment. Nothing will be resident on the user's phone. I think that's such a huge change from you know the data at rest piece that we've seen over and over. Let me turn to Dave Shai from uh, GSA. You guys also have been out in front in many regards. We've talked over the years about, uh, Tim mentioned Office 365. You guys have been emailing the cloud for several years, but there's a whole host of things that are going on. Talk a little bit about your digital transformation. Great, thanks. So yeah, we had the uh, benefit of moving out probably in 2011, 2012 into you know, deep and meaningful uh, moves to the cloud and things like that. What we've found is that uh, digital transformation uh, is it's a good body of work to do, but the real value is when you do it with a customer-centered design and user focus uh, when you do that. That's good for IT as a whole, whether you're doing digital transformation or not. Um, so uh, we've moved out in a few different ways. Um, when we build uh, or buy, uh, we assess something called heuristics so that you can see is this thing going to be useful and usable for uh, customers. Uh, we found increasingly that uh, business process reengineering needs to be a key component in any type of digital transformation. If all you're doing is putting a digital overlay on a fundamentally broken business process, you've gained nothing. So, um, so we build that in in our sprints in the very beginning of our transformation activities to make sure that the process is as optimized and as efficient as possible. Um, and then we put a digital overlay on top of that to make it technically efficient and optimized. Um, we, uh, we do things like uh, we make sure we follow U.S. web design standards, which are um, focused on presenting data in the most useful way, in a way that doesn't tax the eye, but also presents the data in an easily consumable way. Um, we actually had the pleasure of working with uh, U.S. Digital Service on uh, co-developing the web design standards, so we drive that through all of our development activities. Um, we're also very intentional about leveraging our private industry partners in this work. Um, you know, we're, we're mid-sized IT shop, but we can only do so much. We, we're absolutely dependent on our um, industry partners to be successful here, and they've poured massive amounts of time into their customer-centered design and their user experience for their tools. We'd be foolish to not leverage that. Um, so we use as-a-service stuff whenever we can uh, because they've already done that work, and we stay away from tailoring and modifying that stuff to work in the federal space, um, which tends to break business process rather than uh, facilitates it. Um, you know, what we found is uh, when we use uh, our industry tool, industry partner tools, when we design according to great customer experience and user experience standards, and we use common uh, standards like the U.S. Uh, web design standard, it presents a government to the citizens that we serve that's very familiar to them. They're interacting with technology every day of their lives, and they're doing so on predictable tools, you know, whether it's social media or office automation. And when we can mimic that and we can mimic those best practices, it makes their interactions with government uh, much more seamless. I want to go back to the business process reengineering piece and, and then jump in for the rest of the panel. That we hear this time and again, don't just lift and shift, right? Make, make the change. Is that, again, on the front end, the most difficult part of this, this digital transformation is, is giving up the old? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been in IT for 30 years now, and uh, this is not a problem that's uh, only in government. It exists out in the private sector as well. Um, most large transformations fail because of organizational change management issues. The technology, I don't want to minimize the hard work that the technologists do to do this hard work, but it's become a, a rote process. If they follow the technology transformation process, it's going to work. You don't have failures at the technology layer anymore. It's usually at the organizational change management. So yes, we pour massive time and energy into that, um, working with our business partners to assess what it is they need, to listen very carefully to what they need, and then overlay 
technology best practice on top of that because if a customer says I think that screen should be yellow instead of blue and it's going to cost the government a million dollars to make that change we're right to push back and say well you know what that doesn't matter actually the best background is a pale green because <laughs> that's what's easier, easiest on the eye so that kind of bilateral two, two way communication with our customer is uh, one of the keys to success. Pam jump in too because you have a similar challenge. Sure, absolutely at the SEC we invested heavily in the business processing re-engineering um, piece of this. We've had a number of consultant firms come in and help us do that. Um, that is, uh, you know, phase one of our planning and rollout of any new um, modernization effort is to do that business process re-engineering. How can we streamline processes? In addition to that, we also look at systems that we can retire as a part of that process. Um, as a part of automating the, the workflow itself, are there siloed systems and practices that can also be retired? We've seen a lot of cost savings from that. But absolutely, the business process re-engineering, which leads right into the uh, requirements development phase of that, are two of the key components to the success of any modernization. And I imagine the first question you ask is, what's the outcome, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. we hear time and again. Absolutely. And you have to sort of bring the mission people back from the old, well, I wanted to do this, I wanted yeah. to do that, and, and what about this shiny yeah. bell and whistle, or just, yeah. does that question, are the mission folks from your perspective? That, I mean, that's the starting that? point, absolutely. Yeah. What's the outcome, what is it we're trying to do, what is the requirement that we're trying to meet? We start with that, and then we move backwards from that to see how it's being done today, and how we can make that more streamlined and efficient. How, how we can bring automation and digitalization into to play. All right, Dave, I want to catch up with you, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll, 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 we'll jump into your, your thoughts on this. You're listening to the panel discussion, The Pathway to Digital Transformation in Government, sponsored by Juniper Networks on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Here's Dave Mahelchek, Federal Chief Technology and Strategy Officer, Juniper Networks. As a 30-year technology veteran, I understand the need to reduce IT operational complexity and cost. Your fastest path to progress is digital transformation, and a good place to start is the network. Open standards-based networks let you introduce automation to eliminate errors, reduce downtime, and optimize applications. Learn how Juniper Network solutions deliver enhanced efficiency and security. Juniper.net slash federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, The Pathway to Digital Transformation in Government, sponsored by Juniper Networks on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Pam Dyson, the Chief Information Officer at the Securities and Exchange Commission, Tim Benjen, the IT Development Director for the Navy Reserve Forces Command, and Dave Shive, the Chief Information Officer for the General Services Administration. Now, before break, uh, Pam, we're just talking about uh, the business process re-engineering piece. Dave, you wanted to jump in, so, so lead us off. How, give us a little more about BPR and, and, and how it relates to what you guys are doing at GSA. Right. So um, we established that BPR is a critical component of uh, modern digital design. Um, as CIO, I have the benefit of providing tools and capabilities for the businesses of GSA so it can effectively operate. GSA also is a service provider out to the federal community um, by providing tools and process for them. You know, internal to GSA, we can act like a test bed to vet uh, our findings, and we've seen some really great outcomes in doing that. Um, our employees, uh, our, the cost of our stack of technology has gone down by over 17% over the last five years, um, but our employees say the technology is working more effectively and uh, more useful. And then we've been able to pivot that and turn that out to our government customers when we build data.gov or usa.gov or login.gov. Um, all of these customer service, user experience, uh, focused design standards uh, are uh, pushed out to the citizens that we serve, not just uh, the customers that we uh, do. I'll give you an example. Um, we worked with the Department of Education to stand up uh, College Scorecard. And it's a tool that allows um, parents and their students who are looking and assessing uh, colleges um, to assess colleges on a set criteria. We built a small tool that allowed them, uh, allowed them to uh, analyze the data and make good choices. But we didn't stop there. We also exposed an API out so that others in the edu education community and the student community could access the data the way they wanted to and make decisions based on that data. So it's a learning that we had in 
internal that we exposed out to our external customers. I'm more impressed by the 17% reduction in cost of, <laughs> cost of the stack. Does that mean the O&M DME discussion? We don't necessarily have to go down that path, but that's a yeah. big piece of digital transformation. Is, is is. Your, have you dropped your, your operations and maintenance, or is 17% less is basically by the person, by the seed, if you will? No, that's total spend, yeah. O&M and DME, and it's been a part of our transformation play. We've been allowed to reinvest that back into additional transformations into the organization. Really strong leadership by the, the, uh, the leads of GSA to allow us to do that. It's excellent news. I mean, I think you know, everyone's under pressure to cut their, <laughs> do more with less, so to speak. Right. Uh, and speaking of that, we, we, that takes down the path to cloud and, and the next step of cloud, if you will, software-defined networking. Uh, Tim, you mentioned that uh, that you guys in the Navy Reserves are, are looking at cloud. Uh, you have a pilot with Office 365. Give me a sense, where does cloud play in your big transformation discussion? Sure, so um, cloud plays a big role in our future. Right now we're in IT, uh, legacy IT infrastructure environments, um, and we pay you know quite a bit for that hosting services, plus any, any infrastructure that we have on site, which, which is very minimal right now because we use uh, enterprise hosting services. But the cloud, we have Office 365, we're looking at going to Amazon Web Services, which we already have some environments stood up inside of Amazon Web Services. Our Navy Reserve public website is hosted there right now. So if you go and search for Navy Reserve and you go to our website for publicly available information, it's in the Amazon Web Services GovCloud. The um, Microsoft Azure platform, we're conducting a pilot with the Navy to host uh, some platform as a service there in the, in the Azure environment. And that will be what we call our Reserve Enterprise Application Locker, which is a collection of .NET apps. As I was mentioning earlier, we, we provide a, a mobile app for our, for our reservists to, to log in and do transactional, transactional things on our side. So we're going to host that in Azure, whether uh, instead of an enterprise data center, it's, um, it really reduces the cost of our hosting and um, security goes up because we're inside of the Microsoft, Microsoft Enclave. We don't have to worry about doing all of the own security ourselves, the patches, that kind of thing. Um, we're really looking forward to moving into the cloud. And it, it really increases the capabilities. I mean, we get a lot more benefit from moving to the cloud because a lot of the services are available that we just don't have access to right now. You mentioned the application locker. It's a, it's a fascinating idea because, as you mentioned, as the reservists need to do something, mm -hmm. eventually they won't have to just come into the building, but they can do it from wherever is convenient, and just, everything's going to happen on the back end, and that's why it's, a, it's if you will, the application locker because that's where all the, transi the right. transactions are happening. Do I have that? That's correct. All right. And what's, is there a timing on that? Do you, do you expect that to be up and running or at least the initial? We, we would like the initial by the end of this calendar year, mm -hmm. um, and right now, the, the thing we're waiting on is contracts. So <laughs> we got to get a contract in place so we can consume Azure services, and that's what's being worked right now. We expect that to be in place and our development environment to be stood up and tested prior to the end of this year. All right, well, something to look out for. We can talk contracting, but we'll, we'll, we'll move over to Pam for a second. Cl cloud has been a big piece of, of your modernization effort for quite a while. Uh, I remember your predecessor, Tom Bayer, talking about, about it. Where are you guys now with the cloud in, in infrastructure? So we developed a cloud strategy, and it absolutely is on the critical path um, for the way that the uh, SEC will meet mission, quite honestly, going forward. Uh, so we, you know, we've done some things in the cloud in the past. We moved Edgar. You mentioned Edgar. Our Edgar public search is in the cloud so you can search for public violence in the cloud as we do it today. We've also moved a lot of our incident management um, into the cloud. Um, uh, a lot of our self-service uh, from a human capital standpoint, uh, portals and platforms will also be moved to the cloud. But I think the biggest um, bang for the SEC will be moving our analytics program to the cloud and being able to leverage the robustness of the cloud, uh, the scalability of the cloud to run analytics on these huge data sets that are coming into the organization. So uh, we're definitely on the path to the cloud. Um, we, as you know, we, uh, in some of my other panels I've been here, we've talked about, we, put, we implemented a, a enterprise data and enterprise data warehouse a few years ago. We have seen that capability grow by leaps and bounds. We're also looking at extending or augmenting that on-prem solution uh, into the cloud again so that we can have more flexibility about what will we do with data there. So, you know, we um, are moving out on our cloud strategy um, and everything that we do going forward from a modernization effort will take the cloud into account. And that was actually my follow-up question yeah. because as you heard Tim describe, for instance, as, as a Navy Reservist needs mm -hmm. to 
look at their schedule yeah. or do something with HR related, mm -hmm. they can do that from anywhere, hopefully, right. in time. Right. Are, are you, the cloud's playing that role as well to the, the access? Will play that role to access all human capital resources, um, everything from time and attendance to retirement plans to calendars. Um, so, you know, the uh, chief uh, human capital officer there and I are working hand in glove together. Um, to build these solutions, but yeah, we're going to be building those out in the cloud so that they're readily available anytime on any device for our um, our uh, users at the SEC. And, and I know, Dave, you guys have, because of you being out in front with the cloud, things like telework from GSA is such a big deal, hoteling, right. all of that I imagine is in some kind of, if it's not, it will be in some kind of cloud platform. Right. So as, as you're driving, well, not when you're driving, but before you leave your house to drive in, maybe you can reserve your desk. Yep. Um, is, that, is that part of that modernization effort, the cloud plays that role? It is. Um, so yeah, it's a key part of it. You know, our, we take cloud first very seriously. Uh, we're at the point now where um, we have to ask ourselves what's not in the cloud um, in GSA. You know, our core financial system at the infrastructure sits in the cloud. Our mail and collaboration is in the cloud. Our help desks are in the cloud. Our back office workflows in the cloud. It just goes on. Even small things like mobile device management and stuff like that is all in the cloud now. Um, uh, and it does help. You know, I can check into my desk. You know, before I leave the house, and and uh, and when I get there, it's nobody sitting in there, which is fantastic. Um, but there's real world examples of the ability that that meshing together of mobility and cloud uh, enabled technology allows us to do some things that were unheard of. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, when Hurricane Sandy roared ashore in New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut, um, the place was devastated. Very little power, almost no networking, and uh, but we were obligated to provide service to the federal agencies that we support, um, and we're also obligated to provide uh, service to the citizens that we support in the region. Um, so we had acquisition professionals who were buying chainsaws and generators for federal facilities from their cell phone from the nearest pep boys that had a little bit of power and a little bit of network or find the closest cell tower. It, all they had to do was find any kind of network and they could do the acquisitions they needed to help um, uh, to help uh, first responding agencies or find out through our geospatial program where the federal buildings in that domain were so they could send people out to go check on the buildings and the status of the buildings. Um, it's, uh, it's a great example and there's a thousand examples just like that. When you give those tools to people and blow out the walls of a GSA building and say you can do your work from anywhere at any time on any device, it's a game changer. And the next step for you guys then, since you have so much in the cloud, I mean, are you starting to look at some of the, the, the if you will, I'll call them emerging technologies like software-defined networking to, to take the cloud to the next level? Sure. You know, uh, the next step on that is um, rather than just software-defined networking, we're using software-defined anything and everything. Um, you know, our, our developers who are part of our DevSecOps teams look at security in the cloud, networks in the cloud, infrastructure, the entire stack of infrastructure in the cloud, the application in the cloud, databases in the cloud. And uh, that allows us to spend our hard time um, developing tools and software uh, that are going to meet the business need and be entirely business focused rather than on um, patching servers and you know checking on the health of networks and stuff like that so I think it's, it's interesting when you talk about the entire stack on uh, in the cloud or on, on as a software based uh, event if you will mm -hmm. um, does that must change your job a little bit too then you, you go from the CIO who's worried about the buttons and the blinking lights Right. A little bit to uh, the CIO who's worried about the tools. So I said to my infrastructure director two and a half years ago that our joined job was to work him out of a job. Um, and that was, I was somewhat kidding when I said <laughs> that because he'll always have a job, just the fundamental nature of his job changes. You know, uh, hardware is code now, and that's where we're, we're, where we're headed. So he is an infrastructure guy dealing with spinning drive and blinking lights, has had to learn how to operate in a code-defined world. Uh, but that's where we're headed, and ignoring that's just going to um, uh, make us live that legacy world that we're trying to get out of. Pam, are you also uh, the SEC hanging, uh, heading down that path from a software-defined piece, as, as, as Dave described it? Absolutely. We are just starting to foray into that space. We're mostly doing it in our development environments, but we're certainly looking at um, you know software-defined networking. Um, but for us, again, it's, it's more around the provisioning and, and the work that we're doing um, as a part of the development life cycle at this point. 
we have not moved to you know SDN for our production environments yet um, but we're on our way so we're, we're just starting in that space. Now Tim let me turn to you because one of the things that the, the Navy has some if you will tighter security controls that we have to worry about but a piece of, of this move to the cloud, a piece of this eventual software-defined networking is the automation piece and, mm -hmm. and, and the ability for you to look at your schedule and say, well, we're going to have 50 reservists come in instead of 30, so do we need more network uh, space or, or, or it's a busy day because everyone's got to sign up for something or other. Are you guys automatically being able to say, okay, how can we kind of use the cloud to, to, to address the the increase in use? Yes, we're, we're definitely looking at that. We're, we're planning for that. As soon as we can leverage these services, we want to automate. Um, we know when drill weekends are. We know when we're going to have reservists come in and need to do some work. And we can even gauge that. It's not only on the weekend, it's on the few days prior to the weekend. So we can scale our services prior to and during that drill weekend. So that way, and we can do it automatically. So we don't have to be sitting anywhere pushing buttons, you know, to have that happen. And we can build that algorithm into the system so that the system knows when our per, when, when our people need to use need to use our services, so we can scale up, scale back down. How do we pay for that in the DoD under contracts? We're still working through that. <laughs> um, that how do you pay for a service you don't know how much it's going to cost up front? It's still uh, still a tricky piece of paperwork that we're working through, but uh, it's going to really open the door for us. And from where I sit, um, the discussion you were having earlier, I don't like having to worry about hardware anymore. Um, that uh, that's one thing that we don't have to worry about. Hardware was always our biggest limitation of any of our technologies we wanted to use. And another automation piece that we could do is we we have a hard time sometimes finding matching our our, our sailors. And I don't want to speak out of my department, but uh, from where I see, sometimes we have a hard time matching sailors to job opportunities. Sometimes they just don't know about them, so we can automate. Um, matching sailors up to job opportunities so that way they can be more active if they choose to be and and um, they can know when something available is near them so that they think they can go and do a drill. It's interesting you talk about not wanting to own the hardware. Is that something that is not just happening with the reserves but do you see that with other uh, colleagues in the Navy trying to get out of that that, that owning or is your yes. focus just so much on the reserves? Um, there are um, and we're actually meeting with them tomorrow uh, so they, they're, they're going down the same road as we are. They're moving to the cloud very rapidly, um, even, maybe even more so than we are. We've, we've had our foot in the door for quite some time because we are a smaller force, so we have a little bit more flexibility there than the bigger Navy does. But uh, they're absolutely looking at the same things, and, and they're, uh, the Navy first cloud, the Navy cloud, uh, Navy cloud first policy came out several months ago, so everybody's really clamoring to, to get on board with that. And once, you, once they start to see the reduction in cost that this, that this brings about and the responsibility of the hardware going away that's the biggest piece and the, the, the security going up and your responsibility to, to maintain as, as Dave was mentioning the patches of those servers um, the uptime of those servers we transfer that to whoever cloud provider we end up going with it saves us a lot Dave you're shaking your head a little bit here talk a little bit about the automation piece and how that's benefiting GSA yeah, so um, Pam mentioned this earlier. Um, the rapid pace of change of technology demands that we automate, automate stuff. Um, we're also finding that the pace of change in our businesses is increasing, and so we need to um, stay as fast as that and be able to work as effectively as that. We also find that um, those who would choose to do harm to the federal government uh, are many, and that you know we need to automate things like our cybersecurity um, presentation that we present out to the world. Um, we can't just continue to hire more people and build more firewalls and and uh, and stuff. So we've uh, built automated scripts and automated capabilities to be able to protect our borders much faster than a human ever could. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've bought into automation because of the rapid pace of change in technology. Um, we need to deliver faster and faster, um, and it's faster. We can't just grow our teams indefinitely, so we've had to be smart about that. Um, we do things like uh, we use containers um, to build stuff, so we can build prepackaged capabilities to serve business um, and push them out very, very quickly in discrete ways so you're not having to build infrastructure and build security, build cyber into that. They're pre-built pre containers that you're just putting the business layer on top of that. That's also going to help us with um, 
uh, how we manage security in the, in the future. Um, right now, you have infrastructure that presents as a target to people who would choose to do harm to the government. Um, if that thing disappears and it only turns on when uh, a workload is actually necessary, um, that makes it much harder to hack and break and uh, cause harm to. If it's only on for the th three minutes that that workload's necessary, um, then that, that helps us out immeasurably. All right, interesting. Now, security has come up a bunch of times, so we're going to take a break and come back. I think we're going to talk about security. <laughs> You're listening to the panel discussion, The Pathway to Digital Transformation. Transformation in Government, sponsored by Juniper Networks on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Here's Dave Mahelchek, Federal Chief Technology and Strategy Officer, Juniper Networks. As a 30-year technology veteran, I understand the need to reduce IT operational complexity and cost. Your fastest path to progress is digital transformation, and a good place to start is the network. Open standards-based networks let you introduce automation to eliminate errors, reduce downtime, and optimize applications. Learn how Juniper Network solutions deliver enhanced efficiency and security. Juniper.net slash federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, The Pathway to Digital Transformation in Government, sponsored by Juniper Networks on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Our guests today are Pam Dyson, the Security and Exchange Commission's Chief Information Officer, Tim Benjen, the IT Development Director for Navy Reserve Forces Command, and David Shive, the Chief Information Officer for the General Services Administration. We were just ending the conversation at the last segment around automation, and we're going to jump into security in a second. But Pam, I know you wanted to jump in about automation, and that plays right into the security yeah. conversation. So, so one of the ways that automation has really um, advanced us at the SEC is with our testing suites. So, you know, we've been able to automate our development environments. It has positioned us to be more agile in the way that we deliver solutions, develop software. Um, in addition to that, we, we're leveraging the cloud and automation to self-provision development environments, um, to spin up environments with the resources that you need when you need them, uh, to turn them back down. So we've moved from an, an on-prem um, solution for that to a cloud-based solution. And that has been very effective um, in us being able to deliver uh, things uh, much sooner. Um, we can, you know, kind of filter out what issues we're going to have much sooner. Uh, we can address requirements, you know, kind of on demand um, because the way we've automated these environments. So, and the fact is that you're, when you automate the, the environments, for instance, we have to test this out, or yep. or that works. We talked about this a little bit with the patching. You can also then test that patch Absolutely. much more quickly. More, Talk a little bit about automation cyber. Long before we roll that um, out into the environment. So, so again, our test and our development environments, we, we've seen the biggest gains with automation in that space, even with some of the, the, um, the core work streams for the divisions, um, because that's the layer where we start, and you know, the lower environments of the life cycle um, is where we've seen a lot of progress made with automation. And, and Dave, you brought the cybersecurity up piece of last, last segment as well. What differences are you seeing, what benefits, as you automate your cybersecurity, or is it quicker, is it better, is it cheaper, is it faster, is it all of the above? Yeah, so um, certainly better and faster. Don't know if cheaper is the right answer. Um, there's a pretty steep trajectory of cybersecurity spend, um, and what that does is even that out a little bit because you become more efficient. Um, so you're turning the comment back to customer-centered design and user experience-centered uh, focus on how we deliver technologies. You know, it's, it's good to spend a fair amount of time to reduce clicks and optimize business, um, but really our customers, if you're going to be truly customer-centered design, the number one thing for them is cybersecurity. You know, it uh, doesn't matter how efficient a application is if it if efficiently exposes data. Um, to people who shouldn't have it, or efficiently exposes user credentials out to the world in a way it's not meant to. So we pour a massive amount of time into cybersecurity because that's kind of the preeminent customer-centered design um, focus for us. But, but Tim, jump in here for a second because what Dave's just saying, user-centered design, the most important is cybersecurity. You work with, we're going to blame the millennials on this, so you'll forgive me by going down this path. They don't want cybersecurity. They want it when they want it, right? They so do. How, how do you find that balance? They, they want it when they want it, and they want it now. <laughs> um, and and they, they want it to work, and they want it to work quick. They don't want to sit there and wait for a spinning wheel for even, even 10, 15 seconds. You know, they want it to be instantaneous, because that's what they're used to. Everything else is instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're working to. And the cloud is helping us with that, because it is a assuming a lot of those uh, security um, risk for us. We don't have to manage them. It's, uh, some of our, some of our uh, security, cybersecurity methods may be antiquated. 
Um, the cloud has all the newest, latest, greatest stuff. We, uh, we're, we're finding that out now. We, there's better insight. They have very good analytic security tools in the cloud where you can find out exactly what's going on and uh, you can really drill down into any threats that you might see in the cloud and we, we find that very useful. A lot of our accreditation processes are, are being modernized to to take into account cloud services. Right now, some of the older uh, accreditation processes don't take that into account at all. So how do you accredit something that didn't exist when, when the process was put in place? So we're, we're, we're modernizing that. We're moving to the NIST risk management framework and uh, it, it's, it's working very well for us. And uh, we, we believe our systems are more secure now as we move to the cloud than they were when we were trying to secure them ourselves. Dave, uh, Tim said your favorite word, accreditation. You're on the uh, JAD, the Joint Authorization Board, when it comes to FedRAMP. Right. Now, I don't want to go down too much of that path, but that piece that Tim's talking about is also a piece that, that's very important for digital transformation, is trust in the cloud, right. this idea that uh, eventually I know the, the FedRAMP is moving toward continuous monitoring or continuous diagnosis mitigation, whatever term we're using today. Right. Talk, just give me, what's the latest with that? To, to so Pam, when she comes and gets her cloud from somebody, <laughs> she feels good about it. Right, so um, accrediting systems for federal use is an important, important part of what we do. And it really doesn't matter if it's a cloud thing or it's an on-prem thing, you have to do the accreditation. You have to do the testing to make sure that you're not exposing data and that um, it has the right controls in place to effectively operate. That's a large body of work. And um, so we've been looking for ways to streamline that. Um, we have what we call a Agile ATOs now, where we get the developers, the security people, um, and the accreditation people together in the same room and work accreditation in real time on systems. Um, we have uh, uh, limited scope ATOs where we will take a look at low risk systems, um, cloud-based systems um, that uh, aren't dealing with uh, heavy duty PII and saying, do we need to put the same accreditation overlay on that that we do on say a core financial system or an authentication system? The answer is obviously and intuitively no, we don't. So we're modifying the accreditation process to be more tailored in line with the actual risk presented by said system, whether it's cloud based or on-prem. So it's an important body of work. I don't think accreditation will end, um, but uh, we're finding some very creative ways to speed up the process. I, know, I, th I think that I hear the vendors all sigh when you said it won't end. I don't know if that was me or you know, if you heard that too. Um, uh, Pam, I want to jump over to data for a second because yeah. I think the other piece of this, and, and, and yeah. Tim brought this up, is, is the data piece. Um, you guys are a big data agency. Yeah, We've absolutely. talked about this. Yeah. I think a story I wrote some about a lifeboat yeah. of data. Uh -huh. Let's talk a little bit about the data analytics piece and how that plays into your decisions around digital transformation. So a lot of our modernization over the last two or three years have been positioned us to build these data analytics platforms. So we have a lot of da data collection systems. Um, we continue to collect data. We have huge data sets coming in as a, as a result of rulemaking. We have consolidated audit trail coming in. Uh, import, mutual fund reporting, and those types of things. Um, the cloud is critical for us in this space um, because those the data sets are the largest agency has ever ingested, and there's a lot of sensitivity around them. And you know, as Tim said, we feel very comfortable with the security of the cloud, um, and so we're going to continue to leverage that technology. But one of the areas that we don't talk about as much is uh, data collection for internal use and diagnostics. So we talked about security and automating a lot of the tools. Um, the diagnostics that come out of those tools also allows us to do, run analytics on to put us in a more proactive space. We like to get to the point where we're doing a lot of predictive uh, analytics around our environment, the security of the environment, the security of the data repositories, um, and those types of things. So we're using data, not, uh, data and data analytics not just for our mission critical work streams, but also for internal information mm -hmm. so that we can improve upon the posture of the, the agency as a whole. Is it also helping you make decisions about how to address customer needs or citizen requirements? Or Absolutely. It, it's, again, with tighter budgets um, and leaner staffing, um, there's a lot of decision making around where you put those resources. And so this type of data is allowing us to do just that. You know, what are the needs of the citizen? Where are we going to get the highest impact based on the data that we're seeing and we're able to run analytics on? Absolutely. Now, Tim, you guys also are working on a, a big data challenge, too. Talk a little bit about your efforts. Sure, we have a Navy Reserve data warehouse that houses 
very uh, reserve-centric information, and our headquarters staff primarily, but also our regional command staffs, they use it to, to perform analytics, how, how are we doing kind of things in the Navy Reserve, and how do we want to plan for the future. We want to get to the part where we can do predictive analytics with it, and we just, we, we're just um, concluding a, a several-month-long cons consultation with a, with a vendor to help us modernize it, make it what the, the, what the users need. If, if you provide data but the user doesn't need it or doesn't know what it is, it's not going to do any good. So we kind of found ourselves in that situation a few years ago. So we've modernized it, we've made it more relevant, and since, since I'm the mobile, mobile guy, I want to make it mobile friendly. I want to make uh, what we're calling analytics on the go. I want leadership to be able to pull up their phone and look at some data and make a decision right then and there, no matter where they're at. They could be at the dinner, but they can make a decision because we provided the information they need, where they need it, when they need it. So, it, From a timing standpoint, you talk about the modernization of this data warehouse. It, it just seems in the beginning stages, correct? It, it is, and, and so we're, we're, we're upgrading our current legacy hardware and software to do the things we want to do with it. Once, we, once we've done that, we're going to actually look at moving it to the cloud as well. But that's going to be, out of all of our transition to the cloud, that's probably going to be the tail end of it. Because, and that's, that's one of our most sensitive systems. So. And I think that, that's probably the challenge. I know uh, DOD just awarded the Mill Cloud 2.0, so mm -hmm. maybe that's a future uh, discussion that we can have <laughs> around sure. that. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave, let me turn to you. GSA obviously is uh, less of a big data than, let's say, SEC, but the data that you guys do collect, acquisition data, the Federal Acquisition Service or Public right. Building Service, that's really important data to, to help you make decisions and transform how you deliver services. Talk about your data efforts. Absolutely. So uh, almost two years ago now, we uh, started a program. We call it, call it Data to Decisions. It, it's an ecosystem of technical capability, organizational change management, and training um, that allows us to exploit that data asset as a whole. It's actually one of our most most valuable data assets. Um, and uh, you know, there's a few internets of things that have been around for a long time. The National Weather Service has had an internet of things collecting weather data from satellites and buoys and stuff since the beginning of time. Public Building Service is a perfect example. We have sensors everywhere measuring the movement of, um, of doors as people come in and out of the building or the movement of elevators that move along or measuring light and turning lights on and off as people enter and um, move out of rooms. Um, doing something with the data that comes off of that massive internet of things, which is 3.2 million data points per day <laughs> for GSA, um, uh, you can actually do some things. Uh, you can predict when heating and cooling systems are about to fail uh, and do something about it and do preventative maintenance long before it becomes a million dollar replacement. Um, you can do things like measure the amount of sun coming in the side of a building and draw down the shades by putting electric shades on to cool that side of the building at a fraction of the cost rather than just cranking up H uh, HC. And if you've ever been in a room and that happens, it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> I was doing an interview with someone at GSA and all of a sudden the, the shades started to come down. Yep. And I kind of looked at the press person, like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, 3.2 million data points. I mean, is, is this, so the data to decision, is that being used from at all levels of GSA right now? It is, and you know what? When you um, consolidate data and aggregate data, you can start to know some things. If you have public building data and acquisition data and you merge those two things together, you can know about the buying habits that are necessary to support buildings and executives can make smarter decisions. In this ecosystem that we've built up, we've found out there's a lot of really smart data-centered people within GSA um, that maybe were uh, tied, tied with business units and stuff. We're able to tie them to the systems and then push them up right next to the decision makers so we can make decisions based on data that's hours old rather than days and weeks old. So. Pam, are you guys getting there to, to make that predictiveness of, of how, how to address uh, challenges? So I'll give you an example that comes to mind. Uh, there's going to be an IPO, big filing, mm -hmm. a 10K. We mentioned that earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know that so many times you know when that's going to happen. Yeah, are, yeah. Are, does data tell you, for instance, Oh, we better turn the cloud up three notches. Is oh, a bad example. And, but. You know, and we we built um, contingencies in place so that we can scale up doing uh, high volume peak uh, peak falling periods. Um, but yeah, a lot of the analytics, certainly uh, just the request for certain information, the searches that the public do um, across the Edgar um, universe of filings also give us an indication of where areas of interest are and where we should be putting um, interest as well. But yeah, a lot of that is built into our 
pro, uh, you know, our service delivery model to ensure that we can scale up during those high peak areas and high demand areas, absolutely. This has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. So let's look to the future. If we have this conversation again in a year or two from now, where are we going to be? I think we started with Pam for the beginning, so we'll start with Dave, and Pam will get the last word. Dave. Okay. So um, even though we've, been, we've had the customer and the citizen at the focus of, of our design for a long time, we're going to double down on that. Um, instead of uh, saying, well, what's going to be the impact on customer, um, we're, one, inviting the customer into the discussion um, and saying, is this going to be useful for you? Um, and we're allowing that to modify how we deliver stuff. Another thing that we're starting to look at is what we call disposable tech. Um, because of the rapid pace of change in technology and the business that sits on top of that technology, um, we're finding that uh, there's value and the cost of delivering technology has become so low that it's, it, the delivery of that technology has become a commodity in and of itself. So if you need to stand up an application that has a lifespan of 30 days or 90 days, that's okay because it's gotten become so cheap to do that. You use it for that discrete amount of time and then turn it off and move on to the next thing. So. I like that, disposable tech. Tim, tell me where we're going. I would like to see, as far as the Navy Reserve is concerned, you know, our sailors be able to do all of their work without having to go into a drilling unit to get on the computer. I mean, there's obviously things that we do inherently to the Navy that they have to be on site to do. But any kind of admin work, any kind of order processing, any kind of travel, any kind of training, do it from anywhere, anytime, you know, any device. That's our, that's our tagline for mobility, anywhere, anytime, any device. We really need to meet that. I would like to see, I don't know if it can happen within the next year or two, I would like to see an alternate authentication method. You know, we have a pretty <laughs> uh, pretty legacy system right now for authentic authenticating. It's, it's fairly secure, but there's better stuff out there. I'd like to see us transition to maybe some biometrics or things like that. When I log into my bank app, I just got to use my thumb, and there's all my information. I mean, there's, there's alternate methods out there that we want to explore. I'd like to see us start using some of those. Excellent. And Pam, give us the last anywhere, word. Anywhere, anytime, more mobile. Um, certainly we want to customize our solutions uh, so that they're more uh, investor and public centric uh, where users can come in and customize their searches, customize the services that they use at the SEC. Um, and certainly we want to be far more advanced in security space um, with our continuous monitoring program and how we're managing you know, our perimeter to ensure that we're doing everything we can to keep the, the data repositories at the SEC as safe as possible. All right, excellent conversation. Thank you all very much. Unfortunately, though, we are out of time. You've been listening to the panel discussion, The Path to Digital Transformation in Government, sponsored by Juniper Networks on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host for today. I'd like to thank my guests for their time, their insights. Pam Dyson, the Chief Information Officer of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Tim Benjen, the IT Development Director for the Navy Reserve Forces Command. And David Shive, the Chief Information Officer for the General Services Administration. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Juniper. Thank you for listening to the Pathway to Digital Transformation in Government panel sponsored by Juniper Networks on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion is available on demand at federalnewsradio.com slash juniper.